Uh, Would you turn your Bibles, please, to Isaiah 43, when Edwin uh, texted to say that he may not be here on Sunday. This was the passage that uh, sprung uh, to mind, uh, very simply because I preached it at Mrs. Bellingham's uh, funeral, and then when I uh, went back over my notes, uh, I discovered that in 2016, I had preached it at Alex's farewell and he was heading off to South Africa. So I thought I would turn to this passage uh, this morning. So uh, Isaiah uh, 43 in verse 1. But now this is what the Lord says, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba, in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you, I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not. For I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Amen. And we know God will always bless the reading of his uh, word. I want you to notice four things for uh, uh, this morning. First of all, the command he issues in verse 1, fear not, fear not, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, you are mine. This is God himself speaking authoritatively through the prophet Isaiah, and he tells his people not to fear and how we as a people flaunt and violate that command almost on a daily basis. We're a very fretful people, and so often we find ourselves consumed with worry, anxiety, and fear. We are emotional, irrational, and fretful as a people, which of course is a result of our our fallen nature. Do you remember in the Garden of Eden when Adam sinned? Uh, against God, Eden Gate, and God said uh, to Adam, where are you? And Adam said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid. Fear is a consequence of the fall. And some, uh, because of their temperament, upbringing, their personality, their social conditioning, are more susceptible to others that, uh, to, to fear. We worry about the past. We worry about the present. We worry about the future. We, what, we worry about what has happened to us, what is happening to us, and what might never happen to us. We worry about our exams. We worry about our jobs. We worry about our families. We worry about sickness, about security, and about sin. We worry over what people think of us, over what they say uh, about us, what they will say to us, uh, what will, how they will respond to us. We worry about broken friendships, broken fellowship, and broken relationships. We worry when things go wrong, and we worry that they might grow wrong. And that fear that grips us, 
can be a very dangerous thing because it can paralyze us in our faith and it can rob us of our joy. But God comes to us as our creator and he commands us, fear not. But now this is uh, what the Lord says, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not. Those two words, create and formed, are very interesting in the Hebrew. The word create points to the sovereign activity of an all-powerful God. God spoke, and in obedience, uh, creation sprang into life. Uh, it, that word create refers to his sovereignty uh, over us, that we are the product of his creative work. The other word formed is a much more uh, intimate, intricate word. It's used of the painstaking care that a potter uh, uses when he applies just uh, the right amount of pressure in the right place to make a vessel for himself. It's delicate. It's intricate. And the God who uh, created us is the God, as David said, who knits us together in our mother's womb. It is he who speaks, the one who created us, the one who uh, 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 wove us together in our mother's womb, the one who formed us, the one that knows all about us, uh, all about us our phobias, our strengths, our weakness our fears. He is the one who comes and tells us not to fear. Now, there are 366 fear nots in the Bible, one for every day of the year and one just in case. And uh, uh, how much we need those fear nots on a daily basis. God comes to us and tells us we are not to fear. The command he issues. The second thing I want you to notice are the trials that he anticipates or the difficulties he anticipates. Why is it that as God's people we are given over to fear? Well, verse 2 tells us, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Here, uh, is where we uh, have or find that expression, uh, I've been through fire, I've been through flood, I've been through hell and high water since last we met, describing the difficulties and the trials of life. Now, the context of this passage is the return of the people of God from exile in Babylon. And God promises them to, promises to bring them back Look at verse 6, I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold, bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. God promises to restore his scattered people to the promised land. But that process of coming back wouldn't be easy. It would be through fire and flames, rivers and floods, uh, they would be restored to the land through difficulty. And that then is the reason for fear. It is the trials and difficulties that we pass through as the people of God, whatever those trials and difficulties might be. 
Now notice from verse 2 three things about the, the problems that we face as the people of God. Notice, first of all, that there are certain trials. Notice verse 2. God says, when you pass through the waters, when you walk through the fire. Not if, if you pass through the waters, if you walk, uh, if you pass through the fire, but when. Trials and difficulties are part and parcel of the Christian experience. They are to be experienced. They are the inescapable consequence of living in a fallen world. Peter writes to believers who were struggling, and he says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. At times we are surprised. We have imbibed this false notion, I think unconsciously or maybe subconsciously at times, of the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel that that if we are Christians and the objects of his love, we should never face difficulty. But that is not the teaching of the Bible. Jesus said, in the world you will have trouble. Spurgeon says, if you are ordained to wear a crown above, you are certainly equally ordained to bear a cross below. God never promised anything else. John Newton uh, the author of Amazing Grace um, wrote, Why should I complain of want or distress, temptation or pain? He told me no less. The heirs of salvation I know from his word through much tribulation must follow their Lord. He says to us, when you pass through the waters. It's a, a very simple point, but there is no uh, tunnel under the river. There's no bridge over the river. There's no asbestos clothing that you can put on to protect you from the fire. There's no Teflon spray that you can add to yourself to shield you and protect you from difficulties and trials. We must go through them. You and I as God's people will experience difficulties, problems, and trials. Trials are certain. Trials are diverse. Verse 2 speaks of water and fire, of flames and rivers. Now those things, metaphorically at least, are opposites of each other. They rarely go together. You wouldn't find a, a flood and a fire in the same place. Or a, 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 a river and a flame. Now, it's said of the state of Victoria in Australia that they can experience uh, four seasons in one day. It's a bit like Friday past here. Uh, I was walking down to church and was drenched, and then the sun was out in the afternoon. Well, that's the Christian's trials. They are varied. They can go from one extreme to another. Remember how James opens his epistle, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Many kinds. Remember Job. His ox and donkeys are stolen. His sheep and shepherds are killed. His camels are stolen and their keepers are killed. And then his whole family on the same day are tragically killed in a, uh, when the house falls on them. It was sorrow upon sorrow. 
Trials are like that. You're just getting over one, and an altogether different one comes out of left field. And often it's not the severity of the trials, but it's the number of the trials, the, the proverbial straw that breaks the camel's back that gets us down. Trials are certain. Trials are diverse. Trials can be severe. Fire and floods are the worst kind of catastrophe. There was a survey in America which detailed people's greatest fear. Do you know, do you know what came right top of that list? The people's greatest fear was public speaking. And I can testify to that. But then, then the next two things uh, was, uh, were, were dying by, by being burnt alive or being drowned. Those were the the two greatest fears of death. And you see, there's nothing trivial about a flame or a flood. And Isaiah is pointing out the severity of our trials, the, the difficulty of the trials that the people would encounter. It was going to be tough for them. On their homeward journey, they would encounter severe trials where their endurance and their patience would be stretched and tested to the limit. They would encounter floods and flames, uh, rivers and, and fire. And the Christian's life is like that. Indeed, it sometimes seems to be that the Christian faces greater trials than anyone else. And that was the complaint of the psalmist in Psalm uh, 73. He asked the question, why is it the righteous suffer? And why is it the wicked seem to prosper? It seems that sometimes it's the good people, it's the godly people, it's Christian people that face trials and difficulties. Well, uh, how true that is. Trials are intense. The severity of our trials, the certainty, the diversity and the severity of them. We wonder if we'll cope, if we'll endure, if we'll persevere. The challenge he issues, the difficulties he anticipates, uh, the comfort that he gives. What then do we ask is the secret in overcoming fear and obeying this injunction to fear not. If trials are to be expected, Expected. What is the antidote to fear? Well, I think we can detect three in, in verse 2. First of all, the presence of God. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. God brings his children through severe trials, but one thing is absolutely sure. He never abandons them. He never leaves them. He never forsakes them. He is with them in their trials. Remember that great promise uh, given uh, to Moses in Deuteronomy 31, I will never leave you nor forsake you, repeated to Joshua, repeated to Solomon, uh, repeated uh, by the writer of the Hebrews, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Do you remember that great promise of, uh, to David? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why will I fear no evil in that dark, dark valley? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
Do you remember that promise that Jesus gave to the little frightened, timorous embryo church as he commissioned them to take the gospel into all the world? He said, lo, I am with you always. And always means always. He's with us at every juncture, at every crisis, in every difficulty. He is there. But there's something more, I think, that's being promised here concerning his presence. He is saying that it's in our troubles, in our crosses, in our losses, in our trials, and in our difficulties that we have a special portion of his presence. He doesn't say when you're sitting in, as we were yesterday, Middleton drinking coffee, I'll be with you. He doesn't say as you're hiking in the Rockies, as we hopefully will be next week, I'll be with you. Or if you're lying by the pool in the Mediterranean, I will be with you. No, he says it's it's, uh, uh, the waters and the, the rivers and the fire that I will be with you. That he's with us in a particular way, in a peculiar way, uh, in our trials and our difficulties. That's where we experience his presence. Spurgeon says, in this thought, I would rush to the floods and flames where Jesus is. I would rush to the floods and the flames where Jesus is. Remember uh, that story of uh, David Livingstone when he was uh, heard that uh, hostile natives were making their way towards the camp uh, to kill him, and he recorded in his journal, um, or he re- uh, he had just read, "Lo, I am with you always," and he recorded in his journal, "This is the word of a gentleman of the most strict and sacred order." So that's an end to fear. He is, he is with us. Remember Paul and Philippians, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, uh, present your requests to God. And he says then, the Lord is near. The, um, the uh, ESV translates that, the Lord is at hand. And scholars are divided if he's talking about time or proximity. Is the Lord's coming near? Or is, is it he, he close at hand in, in our, our difficulties? But that, that word, um, the root of that word near means to touch or to strangle, um, to reach out your hand. And it's, it's almost that the picture is of the Lord being right in there with us, holding our hand, holding our elbow, touching us in our difficulties and our trials. The presence of God, the second is the preservation of God. Look again at verse 2. And through the rivers they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire you will not be burned and the flame shall not uh, consume you. Although God doesn't promise to remove the trials, He does promise to protect us in the trials, to keep us in the trials. The rivers will not overwhelm and the flames will not consume. Sometimes we find that difficult to believe. There are some rivers that are fast and, and deep and we expect them to sweep us away completely. And there are some fires which 
threaten to engulf us and to consume us. Yet it is the promise of God that whatever trials we face in this life, they will not consume us. They will not overtake us. They will not uh, bury us. Do you remember Paul's great, um, the, the great promise that he received? Three times he prayed that that thorn in the flesh, whatever it was, we, we can't be sure. Um, commentators and scholars speculate as to blindness or epilepsy or some other kind of physical illness. And here's a man who has seen um, uh, healing through his prayers for others. And he prays three times and, uh, uh, for healing. And God doesn't heal him, but says, my grace is sufficient. That, that God gives us the strength. He infuses us with strength so that the waters will not sweep us away and so, the, so that the flame will not set us ablaze. Fear not, for I am with thee. O be not dismayed. I am thy God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee and help thee and cause thee to stand upheld by my righteous omnipotent hand. And that strength is never given in advance. It's just given as you need it. There's one of the, the uh, reformers, the English reformers, uh, Thomas Pliny, and he was uh, sentenced to be burnt at the stake. And in his cell the night before, there was a candle burning and he put his finger in the flame and he immediately withdrew it and he thought, oh, I'm going to deny the Lord. I'm not going to be able to stand for the Lord uh, when they uh, threatened me with fire. The next day they took him and they tied him to the stake. And from the flames he was heard to sing praise to God. And the, the point that Fox makes in Fox's Book of Martyrs is that God's grace and God's strength is never given in advance. It's just giving, given as you, you need it. It's like the illustration of the little boy that was at the timber yard with his father getting some off cuts of wood for the fire and as he holds out his hands and his father fills his, his arms with, with wood and he's staggering up the yard and a man comes to relieve him. One of the workers comes to relieve him and he says, oh, it's, it's okay. My father knows how much I can take. My father knows how much I can take. The promise is that he will never put a burden on our backs that he doesn't give us the strength to carry. The presence of God, the preservation of God, and the deliverance of God. Look at verse 2 again. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not set you ablaze. These trials and tribulations that the people of God were to experience were of a temporary nature. They were passing through. They were on a journey. They were traveling home. They had been exiled in Babylon. They were now coming home to the promised land. And those trials would come to an end and be no more. They would be at rest. It's true of us. We're pilgrims. We're pilgrims passing through. Our home is not this world. Our home is in heaven. And there is ultimately a deliverance from the floods and the flames, from the trials and tribulations, from all sickness and sorrow, when we will be at home with the Lord 
forever. We're passing through this place and we're coming to a place where every tear will be wiped from our eyes and there will be no more sickness or sorrow or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And how true that was of the Lord Jesus. The writer to the Hebrews says, um, uh, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. How did Jesus endure the cross? Something that he recoiled from in the garden of Gethsemane and prayed, if it is possible, may this cup pass from me. Something that the mere contemplation of caused him to sweat drops of blood. How did he, he endure the cross? Because he was looking beyond the cross to the joy that was set before him, to sitting down at the right hand of the majesty on high, to seeing the blessed fruits of the cross when a great multitude that no man can number would be saved from every tribe and nation, tongue and people. And we in our our crosses and our difficulties in the, in the rivers and the, the, the floods, we've got to think much more of heaven. This is temporary. It's going to pass away. And one day, we're, we'll be forever with the Lord. It is a land of pure delights where saints, immortal reign, infinite day excludes the night and pleasures banish pain. You know, sometimes people say, you know, that he's too heavenly minded for um, any earthly use. That's just not true. We need to be more heavenly minded. We need to think much more of the world to come and the glory that has yet to be revealed. It's said of Richard Stibbs, the Puritan, that heaven was in him before he was in heaven. Heaven was in him before he was in heaven. And heaven needs to be in us. So that when we suffer those trials and those difficulties, that we're looking beyond those trials and difficulties to something that is infinitely more wonderful. The comfort he gives, the presence of God, I will be with you, the preservation of God, they shall not overwhelm you, and the deliverance of God when you pass through. Finally, and very quickly, the reason he explains. Why should God take any interest in us? Why should he keep these promises uh, for us? And the answer, well, look at verse 3, first of all. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba, in exchange for you. That, that we are his people. This is covenant language. The great Yahweh is coming and he's saying, I am your Lord and your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I'm the one who rescued you. I'm the one who saved you. Do you think I'm going to abandon you and leave you to muddle through on your own? I am your God. Look at verse 4. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. Well, we're precious to him. He's not going to abandon us. And he's not going to leave us. He's not going to withdraw from us at the hour of our greatest need. He's going to be with us. He's pledged himself. He's covenanted himself to be with us. 
And why is that? Well, look at verse 1. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Now, when we were working through Ruth, we looked at that whole concept of redemption. Go well. It means to set free, to set free, to purchase. And these people then could look back to the redemption of God when He redeemed them from slavery in Egypt. He rescued them from slavery in Egypt. And He brought them out of Egypt. Now they were in Babylon. Well, was He going to abandon them in Babylon? No, He had redeemed them in Egypt. They were precious to Him. And He was going to bring them out and bring them home to the the promised land. Look at uh, the continued redemptive interest He has uh, in them. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba, in exchange for you. So, so Cush and Seba and Egypt was all that was known of Africa. And Alec Mateer points out it's, it's as if God is saying, look, look, I'm, I so love you. You're so precious to me. I would pay all of Africa for you, he says. I would give all of Africa for you. There's, there's a, a continuing redemptive interest in the people of God. We are not to fear because He has redeemed us not with the blood of lambs and goats and pigeons and heifers, but He has redeemed us with the precious blood of the, His own Son, the Lord Jesus. He, that's, that's the price He uh, has paid. Peter says we are not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold. Silver and gold corruptible? It's, it's food and vegetation that's corruptible and decomposes. We're not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold. They're transient. They're temporary in comparison to the eternal effects of the blood of Christ. That's what's permanent. That's what lasts. That's what keeps the blood of Christ. And we have been purchased by the blood of Christ. He he redeemed us at the infinite cost of the blood of His own Son. He sent His Son into the world to die upon Calvary's cross. There He shed His blood. There He spilled His blood that you and I might be forgiven and brought safely into heaven. We're precious to Him because we have been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. Do you think He's going to leave us? Do you think He's going to abandon us? Do you think He's going to forget about us? In the hour of our greatest need, when all the pressures of life are pressing into uh, in on us, do you think God's going to say, well, He can do on His own. He can manage through. She'll cope. No, at that very time, He's going to step in and help us because we are precious to Him. That's the great reason not to fear. Fear not. For I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. As I said at the Lord's table that Sunday after Mrs. Bellingham's funeral, no Christian can stand at the cross and scratch his head and say, I wonder if God loves me. I wonder if God will care for me. I wonder if God will help me. I wonder if God will bring me through. I wonder if God will abandon me. If God will leave me. If God will forsake me. No! No! 
He has redeemed you by the precious blood of His own Son. And because He has redeemed you, verse 4, you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. You're His bride. And there's no way that He's going to abandon you in the hour of your need. Well, isn't that wonderful? Yeah, we, we face difficulties. We face hardships. We face pressures. Life is difficult. Life is hard. You'll always find somebody upset with you somewhere along the line. But you are not to fear because He has redeemed you. He has called you by name and you are if you're not a Christian this morning, I, I feel so sorry for you. I just, I just don't know how you manage and I don't know how you cope. You kind of muddle and struggle through on your own. And sometimes those pressures just become too much and they do overwhelm you. But as a believer in the Lord Jesus, you have this assurance. Precious, precious to him. Amen.